This Week in Startups, The Next Unicorns is brought to you by LinkedIn. You need LinkedIn jobs to find the right people for your business. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash unicorn and get $50 off your first job post. Embroker. The Embroker Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important lines of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Get an instant quote and $5,000 of AWS credit at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get 10% off by using offer code TWIST10. And NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get NetSuite's free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, when you go to netsuite.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. This is part of our series called The Next Unicorns, or as we like to say colloquially here in Silicon Valley, Sunicorns, companies that we believe could be the next Uber, Robinhood, Com.com, Airbnb. And we track these things. Pretty easy to track. If somebody raises over 50 or $100 million, that means some investors believe they can get to that benchmark. What does it take to be a unicorn? You got to have a product that people really love. You have to have strong product market fit. Additionally, you have to have a great business model. So that that strong product market fit can be monetized. And that Revenue can show up to help you grow and conquer the world. Uh, you also need to have a great founder. Our company today is called Upgrade.com, and they have all three. They got a business model, they got product market fit, and they got a great founder. That founder is uh, Renaud Laplanche. Yes. Did I get it right, Renaud? That's perfect. All right. Magnifique. And your new company is Upgrade.com. Uh, you used to run Lending Club, and you took it public. I did. I you did. did. Yeah, 2014. In 2014. Everybody knows Lending Club. Lending Club, you started in order to do what? What was the original concept and mission of Lending Club? So the very basic idea of Lending Club came to me uh, in 2006 when I was sitting in my living room opening up the mail um, and I opened my credit card statement and realized that if I was going to carry over the balance to the next month, I would be paying 18% interest oh. rate on my credit card, uh, which I thought was a pretty high interest rate. Uh, but then I, the next piece of mail I opened was my savings account statement, uh-huh. where I was getting 50 basis points, so 0.5% on yep. my savings. Uh, and, and the two letters came from the same bank. Uh, so I started scratching my head, thinking, okay, the, the bank is giving me 0.5%, but charging 18 on the other side. Uh, where is the money going? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so it just triggered my curiosity and I started doing some work and starting understanding that, um, all that spread, all that difference between the two rates, uh, was mostly going into the cost for the banks of, uh, uh capital transformation or like collecting deposits on one side, extending loans on the other side. And the sort of thousands of branches and hundreds of thousands of employees that yeah. go into that process. Right. Uh, so the very basic idea of Lending Club was, okay, is there a uh, more cost-efficient way uh, through an online marketplace to achieve that right. capital transformation and uh, put directly in touch, uh, directly in relation, in contact, uh, people who have the money on one side, people who need it on the other side. Brilliant. And have them transact online. Without having to go to a thousand marble lobbies filled with security guards and 30 foot ceilings to make you feel like it was an important building. Exactly. Did it work? Did Lending Club work? 
I think it worked uh, beyond my imagination at the time. Um, again, we started in 2006. Um, it, it wasn't a great time to get started. We actually launched in 2007. Oh, um, right time for the financial crisis right, exactly. and the Great Recession. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't a perfect time to convince investors yeah. to invest in consumer credit. Mm. Um, but uh, at the same time, it, it sort of helped uh, battle test the company and uh, yeah. get us for a like, tough time very early on and really prove the model in the tough environment. And as the environment got better, um, we uh, we kept on, on making the product better and, and kept on getting more traction. Uh, so by like 2012, I think we had done about a billion dollars in, in loans. And so wow. like small loans made to consumers. So it's, it's a lot of loans. Uh, how did you deal, I guess, the big criticism in that business? And we'll get to your new business, Upgrade.com, for people who want to take a look if they're at their computers. Don't do that while you're driving. Um, what was the the number one concern for people was defaults, I would think. How did you deal with qualifying the loans and what is the proper amount of defaults to have in order to have a vibrant marketplace like Lending Club? Uh, absolutely. I mean, underwriting the loans is really the core of the business, underwriting and servicing. Um, and uh, so we we worked very hard on it. And, and I think the initial uh, underwriting was uh, putting our best foot forward and it improved from there. And as we get, as we got more data, it got better and better over time. And uh, I think over, over 10 years, we made incredible progress in underwriting. And what was uh, the bad debt ballpark? 10%, 5%, 2%? So um, I think what really matters is uh, for investors to understand the risk and for us to deliver the right uh, type of risk to different mm. type of investors. That's, I think, what we did well. So we started grading the loans and, and, and really creating different pockets with uh, some loans that were sort of very safe, made to people who uh, had perfect credit score, perfect credit history, uh, never yeah. went delinquent on their, on their credit. And in that case, the interest rate was lower, the target return for investor was lower, but it's also a, um, a mm. very sort of predictable return. And uh, then there's another sort of uh, pocket of, uh, so the first one was you would call sort of prime plus or super prime. Then there's another uh, segment where it's people who have average credit or slightly better than average credit might be delinquent from time to time, but Sub-prime. generally perform, perform well on, on their prime. loans. Uh, so prime, you know. Got it. Um, and then there's another bucket that's near prime. So we n- we never went into subprime. Yeah. Thought it wasn't uh, wasn't appropriate at the time. Um, Were people doing peer to peer loans where you wanted a loan of a thousand dollars and I gave you the thousand, or were you bundling them by the end? So yeah, it evolved over yeah. time. So the original idea was really peer to peer lending. So, so there's a lot of risk there, uh, and it's, it's a little bit weird and creepy. Like you owe me a thousand dollars, and this website put us together. So it it's almost be, like being a loan shark in a way, right? <laughs> it would be risky and creepy if it was uh, really a one on one relationship. Yeah. But the way it worked was one to many. So as a as an investor, you would come in and really take a twenty five dollar, fifty dollar portion of each loan. Got so it. a loan might be $10,000, but you would only take $25 of so that. If it goes so you bad, diversify the risk over yeah. hundreds, thousands of loans. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you got ousted, huh? You got ousted from the from the company? I technically resigned. Ah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So I left in uh, 2016. Uh, so we took the company public in 2014. Mm. Uh, it was uh, really a, a uh, sort of uh, uh, very sort of uh, 
proud moment in my life as an entrepreneur. Going public. Going public, yeah. And, okay. and all, the, all the spotlights and, and the big valuation and so on. It was, it was really uh, uh, a big, uh, big moment in my life. When we get back from this quick break, I want you to tell me candidly about the breakup and leaving the company you started because that's emotionally very difficult, isn't it? It is. I want you to tell me everything honestly when we get back on This Week in Startups. I am loving this Sunicorn series. It's so great to find these next unicorns. Thanks to our friends at LinkedIn Talent Solutions for sponsoring this special series. And of course, you know, hiring is really hard and it's not as easy as just posting a job to a bunch of different message boards or maybe even putting an ad in the paper if people still do that kind of nonsense. Nope. When you're growing your business, you need to reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. And that's where I got Sir Charles, our amazing new producer. He wasn't looking for a gig. But he was on LinkedIn and he saw, hey, This Week in Startups, this great podcast is looking for a director. Hey, I'm a director. I don't like the job I'm in. Ah, It's okay. But this other job seems pretty dope. And boom, he was one of those 600 million LinkedIn uh, members who is there looking for connections, passively searching. They don't know they're looking, but they just, uh, they pass by. Maybe they take a look. That's who you want. And those are the people on LinkedIn. So Associate Fresh creates a job posting for me, client success manager in Toronto. He selects the needs, the description, adds some additional screening questions, and he sets a daily budget, and boom, we're on our way to finding great candidates. And it works so well, and you can pay what you want, um, and the first $50 is on them. That's right, $50 right now, a 5-0, linkedin.com slash unicorn. That's right, U-N-I-C-O-R-N, you know how to spell unicorn. LinkedIn.com slash unicorn gets you a 50 $50. Go find somebody great to take your startup to the next level. Thanks again, LinkedIn. Okay, Jason, to you in three. All right, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. My guest, Renaud Laplanche. You're uh, getting be- better each time. I am trying to. Uh, <laughs> and he is the uh, founder of Lending Club. Took a public. So proud. And then uh, you resigned at some point, maybe pushed a little bit. What happened? And how do you reconcile... This moment in time, which a lot of founders go through, you're a seasoned founder, so you're you're not like some uh, first timer here. What was it like to to leave the company that you founded and loved? So it was really really frustrating and disappointing and and sad, frankly, yeah. because um, uh, you know you, you work for ten years on a project and it, it grows, it gets big, it gets interesting, mm-hmm. uh, and and one day you're in this situation where you feel you have to leave. Um, so yeah, it wasn't wasn't a happy moment for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some compliance issues yeah. uh, at the time, the first quarter of 2016. Um, and some disagreements on how to move forward and yeah. and how to resolve them. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, I, I left uh, I left the company at the time. All right, let's move on because life is short. Tell me about Upgrade.com. What a great domain name. Thank you. What is Upgrade.com? You obviously have genius ideas like Landing Club. What is your next genius idea right now? So Upgrade is um, sort of a continuation of the same idea. It's really building up on everything I learned over the previous 10 years. Uh, so it's still about consumer credit. Um, but but I think it's it's uh, essentially applying the same mechanisms of marketplace lending, of online lending, of using technology to lower cost and deliver a better experience than the banks, and applying that to multiple products. Right. So Lending Club was about making personal loans designed to refinance a credit card. 
um, upgrade sort of started that way, but branched out into lines of credit uh, and uh, and the, the uh, now into card since mm. this morning. Um, and uh, and the plan is to continue to apply the same mechanism, same concept to all types of, of loans, including mortgages, including um, car loans. So really be more helpful to more people and bring that notion of affordable and responsible credit to as many people as we can. Is the credit system, credit scores as they were, is the credit score a good indicator of people's credit worthiness or are there better ones? Because as an angel investor, I get pitched on a lot of people who say like, oh, we could use your uh, uh, your friend circle and who your social graph is. Or we could use your online behavior and reputation, whatever it is, um, as a better indicator. Are there better indicators than the credit score? Is that outdated? Um, so I think it's, uh, and so it, it depends. Um, I think when you're like in the middle of the fairway, you make loans to people in that prime segment. Mm. The credit score is a fairly predictive attribute. It's not enough. Uh, you need a lot of data that's not incorporated in the credit score. Mm. So credit score does a good job at uh, being a reflection of uh, the length of your credit history, the quality of your credit history, your current credit situation, uh, it doesn't incorporate financial uh, attributes, right? So you, mm. it doesn't tell you uh, what the income is or what the ah. debt to income might be. So you need additional financial data uh, to make it work, even in the mainstream segments. But I think where uh, the credit score is insufficient is if you're trying to go into uh, sort of younger populations or people who are new to credit, uh, recent immigrants, people whose situation has changed. Um, so in, in that new to credit population where you don't have a lot of credit history, for sure you need to um, sort of supplement mm traditional credit attributes and credit scores with additional data, including sort of utility bill payments and this type of other transactional data you can um, find in, in the bank account or in other So tell me sources. about this card. You came, you came out with a card. I think we have a short video of it. Uh, and uh, I see it over there sitting there. Yes. It's a Visa card. It's a standard type of credit card or is it a debit card? It is. Uh, so it's a, a card that gives you card that okay. gives you credit it's a card um, that gives you credit um, it's but not, not a credit card explain <laughs> it's not officially a credit card Got i think it. it's better than a credit card so basically so thinking back uh, on like both lending club and upgrade i think what we've done is essentially helping people take credit card debt and refinance it with uh, a sort of personal loan that's a lower cost it's a more responsible mm -hmm. product to use um, what this does is it makes it unnecessary to refinance it because it, it, you can basically replace your credit card uh -huh. with an upgrade card. And, and the reason it's, um, it's a good idea to, to replace your credit card with upgrade is, um, basically cards are, uh, so very expensive. It's a lot of fees, very high interest rates. Um, but the, I think the worst feature about credit cards is, what they call the monthly minimum payment, mm. um, which barely covers the interest and the tiny portion of the principal. It's designed to manipulate poor people into being poorer. It's designed to um, keep people in debt indefinitely. Right? It is the most sinister thing you could do as a finance executive is to take a person who needs money and then give them the worst option that is in their worst interest and put that front and center and encourage them to pay the minimum. 
All right. And then, so um, do you know how long it's going to take you if you, let's say you charge $1,000 on your credit card, yeah. uh, if you make the monthly minimum payment, do you have an idea of I'm how long it's going to take you? I'm going to say 10 years. Down? Yeah, 28 years. 28 years. Yeah. It is criminal. There, right. If you pay the minimum right. on $1,000 28 years later, right. what would you wound up paying? So you'll end up paying back $2,500. So it is more money than a loan shark. You're yes. going to wind up paying back two right. and a half Right. Cash on cash. Thousand dollars equals twenty five hundred. A dollar equals two fifty. So what you do is you tell them upgrade your credit card. Right. You got five thousand dollars in bad, high interest rate. What are they? What is the high interest rate now? Nineteen percent, twenty five percent. So the, the average on credit cards is around eighteen oh. uh, percent. The average on the store card. Uh, you know, when you get Macy's your 10, card. 10% discount to yeah, sign yeah, up yeah, for yeah. a new card. Uh, so the average on that is 24%. Oh. And rates go all the way to 29.99. Uh, but on average, they're about 18%. And then they charge you late fees if you're late uh, and those kind of fees. And those are incredibly punitive. Yeah. So and if you hit a couple of those, your rate's going to go above 30%, right. isn't it? And about one third of credit card issuers' revenue is fees. So you take, wow. you take that interest rate uh, that you're paying, you add 50% to it, and then you, you get to the real cost. Of oh, my cards. Lord. So they're mm. really uh, putting people on this crazy hamster wheel. Um, and right. they're, it's really in their – it's not in their best interest. And our government hasn't regulated this. Consumers need to be their own advocate. They cannot rely on the government, can they? So it is regulated, uh, for sure, ha. and there are lots of disclosures and, and so on. Yeah. But, it's poorly regulated, but, but, you would but, say. But I think, yeah, the, the regulations aren't enough uh, to encourage credit card issuers to develop really responsible products. So, so how are you what, more responsible? So that's what we tried, we tried to do at Upgrade, is to uh, come up with a card that's really a consumer-friendly card and encourages the right behavior, encourages the behavior that's good for you. Mm. Right? So it's, uh, it's what we call an installment plan. Mm -hmm. So basically, we, you can use um, the card for any purchase. Uh, you can use it in store. You can use it online. It's a mm -hmm. tokenized card. So you can store it in Apple Pay or any, any digital wallet and enable mobile payment. Um, but wh wh however you use the card, whatever you buy, at the end of the month, the balance turns into an installment plan that you choose ah. to pay off over one, two, or three years. Got it. And, and, and then you, you have this discipline of paying down the loan every month, principal and interest. So you don't let them do just interest. You force them to do principal. Exactly. And it's a straight line amortization. Principal and interest equal payments over one, two, or three years. Got it. At a fixed rate. So you know exactly how much you'll be paying. You so can you're not variable, it. it's fixed. Right. What is the fixed rate? It depends on your credit? Depends on your credit. What's the range? Uh, the, uh, the range is 65 to 29%. Got it. Yeah. So, so we believe the average would be sort of 12, 13%. Got it. Uh, so it's not going to be radically different in interest rate, but well, it's five, go, points five points cheaper. Five points cheaper, which is right. actually yeah. pretty yeah. radical, actually, right. now that I think right. about it. Yeah. Right. So it's going to be significantly less. Right. And if you are acting against your own best interest, Upgrade doesn't want you as a customer. You want the people who want a road to recovery. When you hear all these like late night commercials about debt consolidation, is that all a giant scam? I don't know if it's a scam, but it's. I think they they don't necessarily tell you everything you need to know about the okay. debt consolidation. So right? if your mom or cousin or brother said, "Hey, I want to do this. I want a debt consolidation," so this TV commercial, what would you say to them candidly? 
Well, I think they, what they need to understand is if they're going to put themselves in the hands of these debt consolidation companies, they, they might end up with less debt because these companies will renegotiate with their creditors. Mm-hmm. But they're also going to end up with a credit score of 500 ah. that's going to stay with them for the next seven years. So they negotiate and take a piece of the difference or the recovery for the other party? That's right. Ugh. So but, they're but, actually, but that's going to ding your credit for a very yeah. long time, and you're going to be a customer that nobody else wants for seven years. In your opinion, who is that credit consolidation company that's doing these late night commercials? Who are they? Who is their customer at the end of the day? The person with the debt, or the person who originated the debt? The credit card company. Who are they really? Look at it as their customer. I, I think it's really the person with the debt, uh, but, okay. I, but 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 I don't believe they're always uh, they're always transparent about that service, mm-hmm. and they they might uh, do a disservice to their customers. Yeah. I think what we're trying to do with Upgrade is really uh, bring together a, a very transparent product that's fundament- fundamentally good for you because it really helps mm-hmm. you have the discipline of paying down your debt faster. So you Are, might you might use credit. I mean, you, you, there's nothing wrong about uh, using credit, right? right. You're, you're buying your Going to a new place, you're buying a, a yeah table new and cameras, whatever. A little credit's okay. <laughs> uh, it costs it costs two thousand yeah. dollars. You you might not be able to pay it all at once. Yeah. But so spreading that over twelve or twenty four months is. All right. um, Are, do you consider upgrade a debt consolidation or a debt, no. or no, would people do this right. even if they don't have credit card debt? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's just a better way to use credit. It's a more responsible and more affordable way to use credit. Right. So when you think of the this interest rate, we start at six and a half percent. It's much lower than what credit card companies start. And if you look at the Apple Card, for example, which is yeah. pretty high end credit card, it starts at thirteen percent. It starts at thirteen. So we start at half the cost of an Apple Card. All right. When we get back from this uh, quick break, I want you to tell me what you think about young people and their use of Venmo and digital money. And if you think that, having been in this area, that crypto and this sort of peer-to-peer lending is all going to come together because you, like me, probably have seen many pitches of we're a lending club or an upgrade type service, but with crypto. When we get back on This Week in Startups. All right, listen, you need to have insurance for your startup. I do. And with me today, Matt Miller from Embroker. He's the CEO and founder. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Jason. Tell me an insurance horror story. Somebody who didn't have insurance and how bad it got for them. Because you must have done some customer uh, research uh, when you started this company. Yeah, I'd say we we see that happen uh, a number of times. We try to prevent it, obviously, but yeah. where a company just didn't buy insurance and something goes really, really wrong. I'd say one of the... Uh, worst things we've seen is a fight between founders where they actually sue each other and rather than being able to settle it or manage it they end up turning the company bankrupt and actually running up personal debts rather than anything else how would insurance have helped that situation exactly if you have a director's and officer's policy that uh, can cover that type of liability, it can pay for law- lawyers to settle the lawsuit, it can Got pay it. for damages, and it can just help you manage through those type of things. Awesome. How does a startup's risk change over time from being just two people building an MVP to, say, having 20 employees and a million dollars in revenue as a software, enterprise software company? How would that change over that period? As you grow as a startup, the risk that you take on uh, 
uh, grows as well. So when you sign larger contracts with larger organizations, the potential liability you have, if those things go wrong, also increases. Get an instant quote and the $5,000 in AWS credits right now by going to Embroker.com slash twist. And when you check out, use twist10 to get 10% off. Thanks for coming in, Matt. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right, welcome back to This Week in Startups. Uh, Renaud LaPlanche is here, backed by my friend Fred Wilson at Union Square Ventures. That's right. Uh, is he the partner on the deal? or uh, John Buttrick is the okay. partner on the deal. But Union Square Ventures was an investor in Landing Club, also an investor in Upgrade. They've been very, yeah. very supportive. Actually, a lot of um, my existing investors at Landing Club are now Upgrade investors. Um, when we left, I wanted to ask you, I, I didn't hear any crypto angle to any of this. I'm curious what your thoughts as somebody who really was innovating in fintech before a lot of other people, when you saw the crypto boom, um, having lived through eCash and been through all those discussions with people, um, and I'm assuming choosing not to pursue it, um, what do you think about what we just witnessed over the last three or four years of billions of dollars and virtual money going away in literally not one single use case other than speculation coming out of this giant dumpster fire known as crypto. Yeah, so cryptocurrencies so far have really not been real currencies. There have been commodities that people have, have bid up uh, and, and, and down in terms of price, but it's been very speculative. And that speculation has really been a, a sort of barrier to making it good currencies because you can't use Bitcoin as a currency if the price is going to double over over a short period of time. Or half. Uh, or half, <laughs> yes. Um, I think what's been more interesting to me and to upgrade um, is more the underlying technology uh, behind crypto, which is uh, the blockchain protocol. So we've, um, we've actually developed a, a really interesting application that's using the blockchain um, that's really trying to create a better system of record for, for the transactions, for, for every document that we generate during the, mm. the application process. Um, and so we, we have a process whereby we, we take sort of every um, part of the transaction, so every uh, agreement, um, the, the borrower, every, um, every aspect of the transaction, and creates a cryptographic signature of that transaction and uh, commits that to a public blockchain every 10 minutes mm. and to really create a time-stamped, sort of immutable trace of proof of that transaction at a point in time. So I use my card to buy a bagel that goes on the public blockchain? <laughs> or uh, So not, not for card transaction yet. Right. Because uh, uh, that would be a privacy issue, but yes, you could yes, hash it, sure. I guess. So you could say, no, a card did it, but that sounds very dangerous. Yeah, no, no. It, so this it, is a private blockchain that you're doing or no, a it's public? A, it's, a, it's a public blockchain, but it's again, it's a hash representation of the transaction. For so people who don't know what a hash representation means, what would that yeah. mean to a civilian? So it, it's really a cryptographic signature, so it's completely encoded. There's no, there's no way to know what's uh, what's really in that transaction. But what it does is, if that record of the transaction ever changes, then the cryptographic signature would change as well. Mm -hmm. So it really serves as a system of record mm -hmm. that tells you, okay, this is what the transaction was at that point in time, and it's never changed. Got it. So if I were to originate a card and pay off five thousand dollars in debt or something, or do a loan, it would be there. Yeah, but it would be locked. That's right. But we could see if it changed, and exactly. we know that something happened here. And I guess you guys have the keys to it, or right. the customer. Yes. Yeah. So are are people coming to you? You mentioned mortgages. Um, 
are you thinking of, or does Upgrade currently allow me as, say, somebody looking for alpha on my dollars to put a million dollars into Upgrade and have you put it across a basket of loans? Is that how you're backing these credit cards? No, we, we don't. So we, we lost sort of that peer-to-peer uh, -peer aspect yeah. that, was, that was really so exciting at the, mm. at the beginning, 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, so now um, all the capital is provided by institutional investors. Got it. Because um, they want the money. Because, yeah. yes, because they, they find it attractive as an yeah. asset. Uh, and for us, it's also a lower cost, right? I mean, yeah. it's, I think a lot of what we do, again, is trying to lower the cost mm. uh, of credit for consumers. Um, and there are two parts to the cost of credit. There's the cost of operations and the cost of capital. So cost of operations is on us, right? It's trying to create the best possible technology platform, push automation in a way that uh, really helps us operate in a very low cost. Uh, but then the cost of capital is really trying to get to the lowest source of capital for any portion of the credit spectrum. So for, for people, again, who have like really good credit, I think the best capital for that is banks and credit unions. Uh, so we actually sell the loans to banks and credit unions um, and uh, are able to access that low cost of capital that way. What should we as consumers or just people in the industry think about the global, and I know I'm going to go macro here, and listen, you're an operator of a business, but you operate that business in a system and that system is macro. What should we think about the fact that the economy's been on a huge tear and we're lowering rates, and then some countries are giving negative interest rates, which, if my understanding is correct, I give the government $100, and in 10 years, they give me back $95 for holding and the privilege of holding my 100 and not letting me spend it. Is that what's happening in the world today? And Why? <laughs> Uh, why, I'm very confused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah now why is, is certainly above my, my pay grade. Uh, okay, but, but, but this yeah. is accurately what's going on in the world. Uh, that's, that's certainly what's going on in, in uh, Japan and in, in parts of Europe where you see negative interest rates. That's right. Negative interest rates. Why would a government set negative interest rates? What is the thinking there? Yeah, well, I think the, I mean, the, we're speculating here. You're, right, we're, right. We don't work for the government, but <laughs> let's think out loud here. Why would they do that? Right. Um, well, I, I think they. I mean, obviously, uh, they. I mean, currency and, and interest rates. It, it's all a sort of supply and demand question, right? So it's like the price of anything, uh, but it also um, bakes the sort of anticipation of future rates. So what, what you're doing when you're you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm happy with 99% of my money back in uh, whatever, three years from now, what you're really saying is, I believe rates will continue to go down and will be even more negative in five years from now. That's, wow. That's part of the thinking. So people are betting that inflation would be so high that 99 cents on the dollar is better than just owning the dollar. Or actually, inflation will be so low. So you're betting on deflation. Betting case. on deflation. Right. So my dollar will buy me less, much less, because they're going to print more. I'm sorry, you're right. Mm. They're going to print more dollars, and there'll be more dollars in, and prices are going to rise. So my dollar will buy less in the future. Therefore, it might buy me 80 cents less. So if you just give me 99 cents, and I give you that one penny, you're protecting how bad this could get. It's a very pessimistic way of looking at the world, is it not? It is, but we're not there in the U.S. I mean, we still right. have positive interest rate, and I think we, we have a, an economy that so far has been, has been doing great and is, is continuing to grow. 
What do you think macro? Do you think that this is a healthy economy and this is the new normal that we're going to just go up and to the right for two or three decades in a row as opposed to, you know, seven to 10 years, everything collapses, seven to 10 years, everything yeah. collapses, then it goes bonkers again. Do you think this could be more steady and smooth? I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. So, um, I What mean, are you it, doing with been, your money? I think it's been a so far unprecedented period of growth, right? We are now in years. the longest period of economic expansion the longest in, in bull US market history. Yeah, in history yeah. um, and uh, what economists would tell you is that uh, sort of economic expansion uh, don't die of natural cause every <laughs> 7, 10, or 12 years. They die of bad economic policy or mm. manufactured crisis voluntarily or involuntarily. Involuntarily, um, and um, and and so I think the the Fed, um, I think over recent years, has done a, a fantastic job at uh, uh, sort of uh, creating the right conditions for that economic expansion to continue. And certainly, when we look at uh, sort of U.S. consumer balance sheet and U.S. consumer uh, sort of debt to income ratio and and ability to uh, to make payments on their obligations, all all these metrics are looking good right now. Uh, that being said, again, it, it's been the longest um, economic expansion on record. So at upgrade, we're assuming it's going to end uh, at some point in the next few years, um, and so we we have a pretty tight underwriting policy. Uh, that's, uh, again, assuming a slower economy than it is now. So you're being cautious. Being a little cautious in the longest bull run makes sense. You've been running really hot. Right. Yeah, you, you don't need to double your bets. You could pace yourself here right. Right. Uh, and see what happens, which means you don't want to give too much credit to people on the lower end of the subprime or whatever. Keep it in the middle. Keep it on the fairway, right. as right. it were. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and and we're really trying to generate what we call in credit positive selection. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, really being appealing to people who uh, want to do the right thing, want to are interested in managing their credit and their personal finance in a responsible way. Yeah. Um, and so in addition to structuring our product in a responsible way, uh, we also um, sort of giving them information and incentive to do what we think is good for them. So uh, we have a suite of products called Credit Health. Uh, uh, which is credit monitoring, credit education, and credit alerts um, that sort of give our customers an update on their credit score, and also lets them uh, give them gives them the tools to uh, better understand their credit mm-hmm. and um, and better manage it. So there's, for example, a credit score simulator uh, that gives ah. you uh, sort of a dashboard of all your credit lines and, and lets you simulate the impact of things that you you might be doing uh, right. on when your credit. We, when we get back from this final break. I want to know, how does one build great credit? How does one build great credit? Because I've heard many different things that when people check your credit, um, if they check it or you check it too often, it goes down because people see that as a negative signal Um, or getting multiple credit cards and having a balance and paying them off, not paying them off too quickly builds your credit. Is that true? I don't know. There's so many different pieces of advice I've gotten over my life uh, that I've just defaulted to pay cash for everything and have no debt. But let's talk about that when we get back on This Week in Startup. Hey, everybody. I'm here with my friend Jason Maynard, who works at NetSuite. Tell everybody, what do you do, Jason? You know, I do I do many things here at NetSuite, but I run the field operations for the business unit. And field operations means what? In Sales, context? marketing, business development, all the stuff in terms of how we acquire customers, take care of them, 
service them, make sure they're happy. What are the other tips for scaling your company? As people go from that 10, 20 person company to the 100, 200 person, what are some tips you can share with how to scale? So I'll give you a story. When I got to NetSuite, I came from Wall Street and I had all of these brilliant ideas and they were just sheer genius ideas. And then after 90 days, I realized I knew nothing. They were all wrong. Yeah. I had all these expansion plans. You should do this. We should do that. And one of the things I realized is that you've got to stay focused as a company. Yeah. And too often than not, I think founders lose interest in their core mission faster than their customers do. So I think it's so staying- that's such a great way to say it. They lose focus faster than their customers. The customers want more. Yes. And the founders are like, okay, I did that already. I'm going to go on to my next thing. It's, it's always sort of, I got to find the next adjacency, the next this or that. Shiny new object Shiny syndrome. Shiny new object syndrome is going to kill a company. So even, even a company like our size, mm. we have to say no more often than we say yes. Right. And you could say, well, you're mature. No, we're, we're less than 5% penetrated globally for the ERP market. Right. We need to stay focused. Right. And, and I think for when you're in those early stages, it's so easy to think about this extension or that extension and just putting all your wood behind the main thing. All right. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, the seven key strategies to grow your profits. So go to NetSuite.com slash twist, NetSuite.com slash twist, and get that free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. We appreciate the work you're doing in the startup community. It's great Thanks, stuff. Thanks, pal. Thanks. All right. We'll be back with more. See you, Jason. Three, two. All right, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startup. S- startups. Plural. This week in startups. We're back. Uh, Renaud, what is the nature of building a great credit score? You heard some of the myths that I had heard, like get a bunch of credit cards, have some debt, pay it off slowly so that they can see. Is that true? So it's, it's really complicated. And that, that's why we put together this credit score simulator yeah. to, to really uh, sort of let you simulate different things. Because um, you're right, applying to too many loans uh, can hurt your credit. So um, applying hurts. It usually Past does, except, I mean, and it gets really complicated and technical. There are some hard credit pools and soft credit pools. Okay. And, and so you need to do your research as a consumer and understand if, if you're going to make a loan application, is it going to be a hard pool or a soft pool? So, so an a example, soft pool does not hurt your credit, a hard pool does. An example of a soft pool would be American Express or like... Silicon Valley Bank mortgage or something? It really depends on, on product. So what we do at Upgrade is it is a soft pool uh, until you're, uh, you're actually sort of approved and you take that uh, loan application or you take, you take that loan or take that Upgrade card, at which point it turns into a hard pool. Oh, I see. So that's a matter of the commitment level. Like, right. are you all in or not? That's right. Um, and so does having a mortgage um, and having credit cards, generally speaking, reasonably improve one's credit score and that is good advice to have a, a car loan or have a mortgage it will, yeah. it will demonstrate something yeah, generally uh, sort of building your credit history and, and continuing to show sort of on-time payments helps build your credit score a mortgage is usually good um, in, in general uh, sort of, uh, revolving credit is pretty bad for your credit score installment credit is better for your credit score okay so revolving um, is bad installment is better right. why is it that businesses, small businesses, cannot get loans and big businesses can get giant ones, it would seem that the government would be incented to give small business loans because that's the future and giving loans to big incumbents is the past. We know that 
giving loans to a big company. It's going to service the top executives of that company. But when you give loans to a small business, by default, it's a small business, so it's going to help the little guy, little gal. Why can't the government effectively give small business loans or banks even? Right. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a uh, it, it's something that's uh, getting better now. So the okay. government is doing their share. There's this SBA program, the SBA administration, that's really encouraging uh, small business lending. Um, the government could be doing more for sure. Uh, but then they, so the banks aren't doing that much because small business loans are riskier than loans to large corporations. And so banks might stay on, on the sideline for that reason. But there are a lot of fintech companies that really stepped to, up to the plate. Uh, so you have companies like OnDeck, like Funding Circle, like Cabbage, uh, PayPal, Square, Square Capital. They're doing um, advances right. against your revenue because they have data. That's right. So Square, PayPal, and Cabbage yeah. are, are doing so because they have the payment business and they uh. can sort of make advances and, and get paid back on the receipt. Or, or credit ah, cards. so when you take one of those Cabbage loans, take a PayPal loan, the receivables or future payments come out first to pay right. it down. That's right. So they've lowered their risk. That's right. You would have to have the business just fall off a cliff, which is possible but not probable, right. for them not to get paid. So in a way, it's almost like revenue-backed bonds mm-hmm. where they're, they have a revenue stream mm-hmm. that is backstopping it. Right. right. It's secured by future revenue. It's right. Secured by future revenue. And that mm-hmm. – and th- do those are those loans really expensive or medium or fair? I think, I think they're pretty fair. And what is the fair number? In your it's, mind it's, for a business, what's fair? Yeah, I think it's competitive enough that the market adjusts itself and they, uh-huh. they get to, to the right price. Um, so I think it's around, it's between 8 and 20% usually based and on the risk. And you feel that's fair? I, I think it represents yeah. the, the risk um, taken. Yeah. Mortgage rates used to be the same as credit card rates, 12 to 20%. During uh, high inflation. During the 70s and 80s. But that hasn't existed for a really long time. Why? Well, I think it's a a matter of inflation. So if you Uh look at real interest rates adjusted for inflation, uh, then you see a different story. Um, But but I think they, I mean, the the government is also helping keeping mortgage rates low. Uh with uh, Fannie and Freddie that are also buying so many mortgages from, from the banks and offloading a lot of the risks mm. from the banks, but it, it keeps mortgage rates uh, very affordable now. Fascinating. You've been starting companies since 2000 or so? That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, 1999. Yeah, so you lived through the dot-com financial crisis, and now here we are in the uh, era of the WeWork uh, collapse. What has changed in terms of starting a company across these three time periods? You had the dot-com period, you had the web 2.0 period, I guess, when Lending Club came uh, up, and then you obviously have the unicorn period. Now, what's changed, what's better, and what's worse in your mind as a founder? So... um no, I'm 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 an optimist. I wouldn't be an entrepreneur if I wasn't an optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I but I really think that uh, collectively we are learning a lot. And I think the uh, whether it's entrepreneurs or or, or the investors, the VC communities, we've all learned a lot from 
uh, from the dot-com bubble and, and the burst and, and, and then subsequent periods. And um, I think many of us now are a lot more efficient with, with capital. And, and sometimes, yes, there are some... Uh, uh, there's like too much uh, money getting put into, pushed into the system, um, and uh, and that creates uh, companies like like WeWork uh, that feel like they can raise unlimited amount of money and therefore can run very large losses for for a very long time. Uh, but I think it's not the majority of entrepreneurs. I think the very vast majority of entrepreneurs are running pretty efficient operations. They're raising capital for good reasons, to mm. try new things, to innovate, to bring products into the world that did not exist yeah. before. Yeah. If uh, Were you ever approached by, by Masayoshi-san to back Lending Club or this company? I can't. I you can't, can't answer say. that question. <laughs> well, he's not in this company, though. No, no, no. no. He's not. He's not definitely not in this one. Would you take the big money, Chris? Listen, you've raised a lot of money, over fifty million, I believe. But you seem like a reasonable person. Um, would you want to take that billion dollar check from him, or five hundred million dollar check from Masayoshi San and 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 the Vision Fund, knowing what you know now and the history you've had? Or would you be reticent to take that money knowing that it comes with such outlandish expectations? Yeah, I think the, um, I mean, too much, having too much, there's such a thing as having too much capital and too much So you money. wouldn't take it um, if you I, offered $500 million right I, now? I wouldn't at the current stage because I have no efficient way to use $500 million right now. Right. Yeah. But if you came with 100 maybe we open a dialogue. I mean, we've raised $150 million with Upgrade right. already. So yeah, we're, I mean, we're, and we're, I think we're using that capital efficiently again to create new products, right. launch new products, and, and bring products into the world that are designed to solve big issues, right? If right. you look at credit cards today, there's more than a trillion dollars in, in it's credit a big cards. It's a big market. So it's, uh, and, and when I started 12 years ago, there was 800 billion dollars. Now there's 1.07 trillion. So the issue, the problem I'm trying to solve has it keeps getting bigger. worse. <laughs> yeah. $270 billion worse. Yeah, and the more in, the government theoretically tries to regulate this it does not seem they seem to be in the pockets of the banks they don't seem to be regulated so it's consumers are on their own let but, me but again i'm, a, I'm an optimist and I, yeah. I think in the absence of sort of regulations designed to create responsible and affordable product i think entrepreneurs can uh step up to the plate and, oh. and, and create really great products that consumers are going to recognize mm. as being good for them and will eventually sort of displace the worse uh, product. So you believe that free markets are capable because entrepreneurs see opportunities to build better products and that those better products get rewarded by consumers who at the end of the day are savvy and will be drawn to better products. I think so. So you believe in capitalism <laughs> as opposed to authoritarianism and socialism and the government deciding what consumers and entrepreneurs do, correct? You know, that's why I came to this country. I, I wasn't yeah. born here. Uh, uh, you clearly I, I, I were. Love, I love this country. France, great country. It is. Pretty hard to be an entrepreneur, isn't it? It, it is. Uh, I think that, and, and you see in, in France, there's just a weight of sort of um, regulation that's designed to be I think, overly productive of employees, of consumers, but that really at the end of the day backfires and stifles innovation. Yeah. My understanding, and this is all secondhand, but I was told by founders uh, from France who had left that if you want to fire somebody, you have to go to court to fire somebody at your company and then you may be on the hook for a year's salary personally. Is that true? Or is that ballpark true? 
it is it is very often true and what oh what what, what it results into is uh people being very reluctant to make the next hire because they know that they, they couldn't let that person go Got it. If they, if no risk taking so why would i hire somebody unless i absolutely know i have more than enough work for them i'm not going to fire up a a five-person crew on the side here to do a skunk work project that might be some Hail Mary that changes the world. Because if it doesn't work, I have to keep him paying them. And then here in America, we have the lowest unemployment in the history of the country. And a large part of it, I believe, is this gig economy as a backstop. Do you believe workers should be able to choose how many hours they work a week? Do you believe in this independent contractor concept? I think so. And you're a Frenchman. I know. And but, you but, believe that, this. That's that's why they kicked me out. <laughs> I know. But I mean, if you think about it, like I, I was, you know, obviously I was an investor at Uber and people are like, you know, they're abusing workers. And you realize we're in the lowest unemployment ever. Those workers are choosing right. between DoorDash, Lyft, Uber, Amazon delivery, right. and Postmates, as well as the Apple Store, Starbucks, Walmart, and Target. And all of those companies have been fighting it out. And if the average now is like, I think, 12 to $15 in like those retailers, like we, and the average for the Uber and the other drivers was like something like 19 an hour or something. So they're beating the Apple store. They're beating Starbucks by a couple of dollars. Right. The free market actually works, doesn't it? It, it certainly looks like it. We, I mean, you must believe in free markets if you're building these kind of companies. Let me ask you a, a again. I think so, but, I, but I'm, I'm going to give you one one more example yeah. of why I think um, free market works. So we, we're again not to be overly commercial with the upgrade card. Yeah. But um, we're building this product that's fundamentally better for consumers, but it, it does require an effort, right? It mm -hmm. does. It's a little bit of a, the vegetables of credit cards, right? It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's good for you, but but you need to make that effort to say, okay, I'm going to pay uh, yeah. the balance every every month. Um, so we, we don't know if people are going to make the right choice or not. Mm. But so what we do is we, we try to give them the right incentives, right? So mm. instead of uh, doing what the credit card companies are doing, which is... Uh, rewarding you for spending more money by giving you miles or cash back or points, yeah. um, we're saying, okay, we're not going to reward you for spending money. Spending money is easy. We're going to reward you for doing what's good for you, which is paying it back. Mm. So we've developed a rewards program uh, that gives you 1% cash back each time you make an on-time payment on your balance. Oh, wow. So we're paying, you're paying 99% of the balance, we're paying the next 1%. It would be like McDonald's giving you like an extra french fry for finishing your salad. <laughs> You know, they're like, you know what? We'll upgrade your small fries to a medium, but you got to finish your salad first. That, that's a great analogy. I have the analogy for you. You're the Whole Foods of credit cards, right? And when Whole Foods came out, people said, well, it's, it's 10% more expensive or whatever. Just like the payment might be 10% more. Yeah, it's 10% more, dummy, but you're going to be sick 50% less and you might live longer. Right. And so, hey, dummy, like spend the extra 10% on some better quality food and you don't need to drink corn syrup because we don't carry it, right? right. Like. Right. You're not allowing people to make a bad decision. And I have to tell you, that's leadership. In my Thank mind, you. what you're doing is leadership. Thank you. Uh, let's wrap up here with the fact that you've done fabulously well. You've made a fortune. You never have to work again. You've done great. And I'm going to guess you're over 50 now? 
Uh, I'm not. 48? Do, do I look over 50? I don't know. I'm going to guess. 50? You kind of like feel like we're the same right, age. I'm 48. I'm, I'm, I'm 49. Okay, you're 49. We're right. at the same age, right? right. We're both going to be our, at the right. same age. I'm going to be 49 in November, so we're almost right. exactly the same yeah. age. How do you make the decision uh, to keep going to work and start another company knowing that this is 10 years of your life that you're going to have to put the nose to the grindstone? And you've already made the money. How do you stay in the ring? How do you stay sharp and want to get up and keep fighting? You know, it's it's um, it's never been about the money. It's uh, mm. at the end of the day, it's about doing something that I feel proud of. Mm. And I think bringing a product like the Upgrade Card is something that makes me immensely proud because. I think we have an opportunity to shift uh, behaviors away from bad products into good products, mm. do something that, that's really useful, yeah. that's really helpful to people. And nobody else has come up with this product, right? It's been 20 years, 30 Why? years I mean, it makes no sense. that Everybody... cards exist. So if, if, if I don't do it, who's, who's going to do it? It's so great because, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. It, and you look, at, you look at natural foods, back to the whole foods analogy. My mom was shopping in like the late 70s, early 80s at a natural food place. Right. You know, and no sugar. I have to eat peanut butter with no sugar. Right. All the other kids are eating Jif and they got plenty of sugar in there. Right. Uh, but she, she knew that. And it just took decades for that to manifest itself in a world-class product. Right. And this is what you're going to do with Upgrade.com. You're going to take something that's obvious to everybody. And it's obvious to the Vanguard that this is the way this should operate. Right. And you're going to make it elegant and simple. What a great domain name. What a great concept. Um, you're hiring. We are. So if you want to be part of the mission to treat people fairly and have them have a healthy, financially responsible life and put them on the right track, you want to go to Upgrade.com and just look for the job page. It's probably jobs.upgrade.com or careers or something like that. Just say careers, jobs at Upgrade.com. And uh, what's the culture like? What do you try to build as the culture now that you've done this a couple times? What, what's the important culture at Upgrade.com? You know, it's it's really interesting actually. It's um, and and generally in fintech, mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to get the culture right because you you're trying to innovate, do things that people have never done before, and so you you really need that sort of Silicon Valley DNA mm -hmm. of like passionate product innovation and fast iteration and and um, and and sort of um, understanding that it comes with the right to make mistakes. Right? If you're doing mm. things nobody has done before, you're not going to get it huh. right every single time. But you're trying to combine that, and we are at Upgrade trying to combine that with um, the sort of the discipline and and the the, the sort of responsible product innovation mm. that comes with. Uh, having a financial product Got it. it deals with people's money. It's, uh, there's a lot of, of compliance, it's a framework around what we're so doing. So you want to be risk-taking, but you don't want to move fast and break people's credit score. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of finding the right balance between innovation, but uh, doing things that, that protect our, consumer, our customers against yeah. um, bad, decisions. Uh, bad decisions and bad outcomes at the end of the day. Right. And right. you look at what got Zuckerberg in so much trouble. Their greatest strength was moving fast and breaking things until maybe they broke the democracy, they broke people's privacy, they broke this right. just basic privacy covenant. This is something that France gets right is privacy. Right. Right. They're, they're not allowed to keep your phone records for more than a year or something I heard. They just, they're not allowed to even keep them. They have to purge them. Right. Right. You guys actually care about privacy. Yeah. 
Yeah, we do. We do. And it's, it's a privacy is, is also a, a factor. But, but really, when you're dealing with uh, so financial products, mm. you, you, you can't break things. Oh, God, you got to get it perfect. Yeah. All right, listen, I'm glad that you're not in the south of France <laughs> just having a little coco vin. Maybe, right. maybe, maybe another thing. A little years. croque madame, right. <laughs> a queen amon, cafe au lait, and just relaxing in Saint Remy. Right. You're back to work. Yeah. You're getting it done. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Fine. Thank and, you. Um, I think it's a great idea, and we look forward to watching you uh, grow upgrade.com into a unicorn over the coming years. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Justin. Uh, thank you, Emmy Award winning producer Jackie. Thank you, St. Nick. And. Let me see those guys in the control room one more time before we end the show here. Show me that one more time in the control room. There they are. Hey, shout out, shout out to uh, Sir Charles and Sir, uh, I'm sorry, uh, St. Nick. Way to go, St. Nick. All right, we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.